Church family, my name is Tiffany and this is Lisa. We currently serve by leading your nominating committee and we wanna let you know about the upcoming special congregation meetings on April 14th and May 14th. They are so special, we're having two of them. <laughs> the first one in April, next Sunday, we're actually gonna be calling a, um, a new pastor. So I invite you to read about him in your worship folder and we um, will be meeting on that next Sunday to call a new pastor. And the May 14th, we're gonna be calling a special congregation meeting to elect the Senior Pastor Search Committee. So I hope you will join us for these all church family moments. Yes. So in addition to the Senior Pastor Search Committee, we have another process going on. So don't forget to fill out the blue elected leadership forms, which are due tomorrow, either in person or online. So I hope you all have been able to check out the nominating committee um, tab on our website. Um, if there's someone that you think would be a good fit, no pressure <laughs> for leadership positions such as church chair um, or, ministry, or ministry council or other ministry divisions, um, please submit a form. We would really love um, for you to reach out out to those folks um, that you believe are being called to serve in these positions. Um, as, again, a church chair, um, we are, that is a position in particular that we are seeking. Um, if you're visiting us, and this kind of sounds a little confusing, um, welcome to the Politeer of our church. And so I just want to offer that you may ask all the questions that you need to ask to gain any sort of clarification. Um, that's really what this family business um, things that we are talking about is sort of the lay leadership of our church and how we lead. Um, and so for specific ways on how to pray, um, it's we're approaching week eight, <laughs> but who's counting? Um, and so again, um, more information is on our website on really areas where we as a team would love and appreciate your prayers. Um, and many of you have approached Tiffany and I um, to let us know that we, and we so appreciate it and are very grateful. So thank you so much. Uh, let us stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading today is found in Mark 10, verses 31 to 45. Jesus said, many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus and his followers were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while the others who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Blessed Jesus, always fixed on others' needs. Keep me mindful, my Redeemer. This is the way you love it me. How I long to be like Jesus, the Father's will, my one. God, keep me low, blessed Jesus, Father's glory, my only reward. When forgetting, taking all my case to Suffering servant, expecting trials along the way, bowing low and doing longer, trusting in your sovereign grace. How I long to be like Jesus, the Father's will. My one regard, keep me low, blessed Jesus, the Father's glory, my only Keep me low, King of glory, while my eyes look up to thee through life's battles keep me steadfast trusting in your victory and how i long to be like jesus 
70 years ago, a Dr. Emile Ryu, I have a picture of him, I'll just show it to you so you can imagine this. He was a well-known scholar, uh, publisher, editor. If you ever remember the old Penguin Classics, he's the one who launched that. He translated works like uh, Homer's Odyssey from Greek to English. Well, he was asked to do a fresh translation of the four Gospels of the New Testament. Now, you need to know, Ryu was also an outspoken agnostic. So when Ryu's son Dominic, who is also a well-known Oxford University uh, classicist and language scholar, heard about this, he said this, it will be interesting to see what my agnostic father will make of the four gospels. It will be even more interesting to see what the four gospels will make of my father. Well, I'm telling you, son Dominic didn't have to wait too long because within a year of beginning that translations of the Gospels, um, Dr. Emile Ryu, at nearly the age of 70 years old, became a committed follower of Jesus. And the passage we come to today is a passage that was central to his conversion. Now, I've been thinking about that story all week as I prepared this sermon for you because I rarely go away from reading the Gospels, the life, the teaching of Jesus, being the same person as when I began to read them, even after these many years of reading the Gospels. And I'll tell you, for me, that is certainly true of this passage that we come to today. I'll just tell you right now, it has been the passage that has shaped the way I've tried to conduct myself as your pastor. I know I fail at doing this, but this is the passage that's always a bit at the heartbeat of that. And I'll tell you again, though I've read it, I think, a thousand times, this week as I read it again, I, I began to find it reshaping the way I think and the way that I want to live. And I just am praying the same thing will happen to you. Now, the best way, I think, for us to enter into this wonderful text is by looking at this request, or you might have think, think about it more as a demand that these brothers, James and John, brought to Jesus in Mark 10, 35. I'll put it up here so you cannot miss it. Teacher, they said, Rabbi, um, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Hmm. H have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I may never have said it quite like that, but I'll tell you, as I've thought about it, I think too many of my prayers are something like that. 
I know better, this is what you have to do, Lord, and, and, and it'll, it will be better. And every time I pray something like that, there comes a time at which I, I feel like the Lord is saying back to me, Greg, you don't even know what you are asking. If you only knew where what you're asking for would lead, you would ask me to say, say no to that prayer. Sometimes when I look back, I, I say, well, I see it now, Lord, but when I prayed it, I didn't see it because the problem seemed to be so great. Has that ever been true of any of you? The only one messed up is the senior pastor in church today, I think. I, I want us to see what led up to these uh, sons of Zebedee, these brothers <laughs> making that demand of Jesus. So let's look at the story. If you've been here a long time, you know I call this story the paradoxical topography of the kingdom of God. That's to let you know I've been to school for a long time. It means when Jesus looks at the landscape, at the topography, he sees it in a different way. He sees that the way up is really down, and it's often been called the upside-down kingdom of God. In uh, Mark 10, 32 to 34, uh, for the third time in his journey toward Jerusalem, and his death on a cross, Jesus took his disciples aside and specifically told him what was awaiting him there in Jerusalem. He did it in uh, eight, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Jesus told them, I'm going to be killed there, but then I will rise again. And in the very next verse, Peter, the apostle Peter, rebuked him for saying such a thing. It happens again in chapter 9, verses 32 to 34. Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed, but then I will rise again. And the disciples in the very next verse are arguing which of them is going to be the greatest when he gets to Jerusalem and sets up his kingdom. With those things in mind, let's look at this third time again of what Jesus told, this time with much more detail about what was going to happen when in just about a week they were going to be going in to Jerusalem. Here's what he said. Again, Jesus took the 12 aside. He told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem. It's elevation up. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then, notice the very next verse, that's when James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, right after he has said that, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, I don't, how would you have felt if you'd been Jesus? I think he might have been a bit exasperated um, when he asks, well, what is it that you want me to do for you? And they said, let one of us sit at your right and let the other sit at your left when you get to Jerusalem and you set up your glory in, in your kingdom. Now, when I've read that many times, on first glance, don't those words seem to be callous and insensitive, uh, unthinking? It feels like, when I first read it, these, these brothers are saying to Jesus, Jesus, you keep saying that when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to have to die, but we don't really think you have to. So when you get there, we want to ensure, we, we think it, we read it this way, we want to ensure that we have the most prestigious positions, those on your right and on your left when you get to Jerusalem next week. But I'll tell you, I, I don't think that's exactly what they were saying. Uh, two things might help you to read this passage a little differently. You with me here? 
The first is this. These two brothers, James and John, were by nature fighters. I mean, they were strong. They were confident. In fact, when Jesus chose them to be his in the 12, he called them, do you know what he called them? Sons of thunder. You can read about that in Mark 3.17. Boenergos in, in Greek. So, sons of thunder, that's a military term. I found a picture of some people just to help you to picture this. <clears throat> in North Carolina in a church, this is a, they call themselves a strength team. Uh, and I, I want to... Jeremy and Dwayne, will you guys start one of these? You can be a part of this to, uh, you know, armor bearers for the senior pastor. You get a feeling for this, sons of thunder. We're going to take care of you. We're not going to let any of this happen. So Jesus called them that. So he knew what they were like, and still he wanted them with him. There was one rather vivid incident on this same journey when they were going from Galilee through Samaria you know, where the Jews and the Gentiles and the Samaritans didn't really get, a, to get, uh, get along very well. And, and they ran into some trouble because Jesus went and wanted some accommodations for him and his disciples, but the Samaritans didn't want any Jews around there, so they turned him down. What do you think these sons of thunder did? Luke chapter 9, verse 24, this is what they said. James and John saw this, and they asked, Lord, do you want us to go, go and call down fire from heaven to destroy them? get a feel for these guys, don't you? So with that in mind, the second thing I want you to notice is when these brothers asked to sit on the right and left of Jesus, they were not merely asking for places of greatest prestige. Like if you go to a banquet, you want to sit next to the, the host, though it was partially that. But the right and the left, when you were going into a battle, really were those people who were there to provide security for the main leader of that group. So if you put those things together, I think the brothers are saying something like this. Well, Jesus, we're, we're sorry that you're so obsessed with this opposition that you think you're going to face in Jerusalem, and you keep thinking you're going to have to die there. So you, we want you to know, we think we can keep that from happening to you. Let us be at your right and the left, and you're going to be okay. Because, Jesus, it makes no sense for you to die. We've got a better plan for you, Jesus. Just do right now whatever we ask, and we're going to be there for you. Don't you see that he's saying that? They're saying that. So Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking. And they didn't. They didn't know what their own real need was in this world. They needed a way for their sins to be washed away, their sins to be atoned for, because of that, they couldn't understand that the very reason why Jesus had come into this world was a reason that would absolutely require his death. If there would ever be any hope for them, they didn't yet have eyes to see more deeply and ears to hear more fully into why Jesus had come. In light of that, Jesus asked James and John, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with this baptism I'm going to have? Got, having seen Faith and Connor being baptized, baptism means to be completely immersed, head and toe, whenever you are baptized in the name of Jesus. What Jesus is saying is, can you really be so fully identified with me that your life will be submerged, immersed into what is going to happen to me when I take on the kingdoms of darkness? It's going to mean opposition, it's going to mean persecution, and it's going to mean my death. Can you really, really drink that cup 
And so easily they say, we can, we can, which I think <laughs> we're the sons of thunder. We know these other 10 disciples may be wimpy, but you know us. That's why you gave us this nickname. We'll protect you, Jesus. So stop talking about dying. Just listen to us. I think I've written this for you. Jesus knew that the battle he would face was much bigger than just against those who were going to oppose him when he got into Jerusalem. He had a much bigger, a cosmic battle to take on against all the kingdoms of darkness, against the kingdom of the evil one, against the kingdom of the sin that just ravages all of our human hearts. So Jesus told James and John, those, those places of those closest to me, those have already been appointed by my Father um, because he's the one who has a plan that's being worked out. That, that's what he's really saying here. That's already there because there is something good God is going to do here that you just don't see it right now. Um, the ironic thing about this is that James and John, in wanting to be there so close to Jesus after his death, after his resurrection, they were able to look back and see much better why it was he had to die. And after his resurrection, and, and Jesus never gave up on them. Don't you love that? And after his resurrection, they did play central roles in the building of the church and the furthering of God's work in this world. And they too, just like Jesus said, would die in the battle. But only physically. <laughs> only physically. So then, after they'd said this, verse 41. You can relate to these guys too, I think. The other 10 disciples heard this conversation. They became indignant. You know why they were indignant, don't you? Because James and John had gotten there first. I mean, James and John had done all the things that all the leadership books and the Harvard Business Review that I read, what it tells me to do. They had asserted themselves. They had come up with a plan that would help their leader and even help the entire team, and they had brought it to them. But the disciples heard this and say they got there first, which means in the new administration, Jesus is going to set up in Jerusalem. The very best places are positions 3 to 12, or in our own language, the only positions open to us are going to be director-level positions. No vice presidencies left for us. Come on, Lake Avenue people, that's the way we think about this world, isn't it? To all this we have what I call the central message of the Gospel of Mark, the hammer blow of this gospel. For the first time in verses 42 to 45, Jesus not only says that he will die, he tells us why he was going to die and how he was going to live. Look at this. Jesus said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers in this world lord it over their people, and their high officials exercise power over them for their own benefit, for their own advantage. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve even to give his life as a ransom for the many. 
Mm. I paused for that hallelujah. It's really true. And you know, Jesus not only taught this, but immediately he went and did it. He lived it out. In the very next verse, verses 46 to 52, just like he has done before, he took a person who was viewed as the least of these, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, and he healed him and he called him, and Bartimaeus, different from the rich young ruler we saw last week, obeyed and followed him, and they went in to Jerusalem, which we're going to look at next week, Mark 1, 11, 1 to, to uh, 11, for the Palm Sunday. Jesus um, went into Jerusalem where he was going to do this. He would die as a ransom for these disciples and for us. So my brothers and sisters here at Lake, that's the story. It's a story of life through death, story of greatness through service, a story that says the way up eternally is down. Now, does that say anything to us in the way we live our lives? I, I tell you, I think it is a call to a new way of living, really a different way of living than almost anything you'll get in any school or any, and yet I think that it's the way of true life. As I said, as I began the message, this is the passage that God has, been, has used to be foundational in the way that I seek with his help. Uh, to live every relationship of my life as, as a husband or as a father or as a, a friend or whether I was a president or whether I'm a, a pastor. And I just really feel like if I can somehow communicate it to you that it will be as life-changing for you and for our church as I'm seeking to have it become for me. I want to communicate it as simply and clearly as I can. I want to use these three words we've used throughout this series. These words see, see what Jesus is saying. The second word understand Understand what you're seeing, and then third, let's respond to it. So see, here's, here's what I think Jesus is wanting them and us to see. God has a plan that he is accomplishing in this world, but it is a plan that sometimes we, send, we cannot see fully. So Jesus turned to them when they had a better plan. He said, you don't know what you're asking. Now, I find it easy to criticize James and John, don't you? Don't they seem just thick? They just seem dense and stubborn. But the more, I, I hate to tell you this, the more I think about them, the more I see myself in them. I mean, on one side, they knew things in their world were messed up. They knew they were living in a, in a, in a government that was godless and they were feeling the oppression of that. They said, this isn't right. They were under the yoke of Rome. They know, knew um, that as they looked at their own people that there seemed to be a disinterest in or apathy about the things of God. They, they knew their own lives, that they weren't perfect. They had no way to grasp, however, how Jesus dying could change anything. Can't you put yourself into their shoes now? I mean, they'd seen him doing these extraordinary miracles over and over and over. It just seems like if anybody could make anything different around here, he could do it, so dying isn't going to help us. Do you remember chapter 9? They, they pretty much came to him and said, Jesus, we think you might even be as great as Elijah and Moses. But dying isn't going to get you there. That's what they were seeing at the time, and I, I can understand them. Can you empathize with him? Have you ever been there? Do you see that the only, the very thing, the very thing that made no sense to them 
was the only thing that would give them any hope in this world. Namely, Jesus dying in their place and in ours is the only hope of salvation. So I, I, I keep thinking, you must be there, maybe now or have been or will be in a situation that at the moment makes no sense to you. And so those are the times when I am often tempted to pray, Lord, I'm gonna help you out with this one. This is what you have to do. I can just imagine it. Those, those things in my marriage and family, Lord, are messed up. This, this stuff at my work where this boss is just impossible to get along with, that's, that can't be right. And maybe you might sometimes even think this transition stuff that's happening at our church doesn't make any sense to me. I want to remind you of something that the heart of our faith is this, that we believe that God is here. We believe that God is present, and it's not just that we believe that God is here and present, but this God who is here is actually at work, and he is at work in all things, in all things, to some end, what, to what end? I preach this almost every Sunday, to bring about good to bring about a different kind of world, to bring about good in our lives. Do you remember Romans 8, 28? It was already been cited. It is for the good, I'm at work in all things, for the good of those who love me, who have been called according to my purpose. So I'm just telling you, when, when you cannot see well into why things are happening in this world, I just pray you'll open your eyes. Carol prayed about this, to this reality that God is at work within you and ask him while the difficulties of the present are happening to be able to wait. And I think if you do, if you see, your hope will be renewed. Things will someday change. Understand. Understand this, that the God who's at work does not need us to rescue him. Can I have a witness there? Anybody believe that? God, God doesn't need us to rescue him though he delights in using us to further his plan. So he didn't need James and John to, to rescue him, but he gave them the privilege of participating in it, so they still come to him. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left. Again, I'll tell you, every time I read scripture, it speaks to me in a new way. Does it to you? This time I've just been remembering back to those many times when I think I've prayed a lot like James and John did. Lord, if you'll only do what I ask you to do, you're going to see that I do some great things for you. Some of those prayers aren't so bad. Like a couple years ago, Lord, if you only heal this con uh, cancer, you're going to find how much more earnestly <laughs> I will serve you as a pastor and love people and on and on. When I pray like that, do you know what I sense God is saying back to me? Greg, with what health and strength do you have? Do that. Serve me earnestly where you are. Love people deeply right now with what health you have. I do heal. But you don't see what I'm doing through this, do you? I'm doing a work in your life and in the church. Do you, ever, do you ever think that way? Okay. You know with this transition coming, I can just be flat out with you. Sometimes I'm going to confess to you the way that I pray here at Lake. Lord, if you would only let me be a benevolent dictator in this congregationally governed church, 
I could make everything right like this. I only need about three months, Lord. And, and he said, you know what he says to me? My child, I love you, but do you know who the Lord of this church is? Do you know who makes things right in a church? He's the one who said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I, I just feel him saying, I've called you and I'll use you, but I don't need you to rescue my church. Again, am I the only one tempted to pray this way? Okay, I know I'm not. I've heard people even tell me this. Pastor, if you'll join me in prayer, that I can win that billion dollar lottery, <laughs> then you won't believe all the great stuff I'm gonna do for, we won't even have to be concerned about meeting the budget because I'm gonna give so generously. You know what I think the Lord says? Give that generously right now with what little you have. And then you'll probably do it also when you have more. Oh, a thousand ways to it. I can only get that job promotion. Then I'll treat people around me different from the way my boss is treating people. And you know what he says, treat people around you right now that way because you have influence on everybody around you. Same thing is true with the way you treat your family, your, your, your uh, friends. Do what you promise you're going to do now and you're going to see I will use it. Now, I've, I've got to tell you, it's not wrong to ask God specifically for things like these, for, uh, for healing and, and for financial provision and, and, and to pray that God will open up opportunities at work or at school to get into the school that you're looking at getting into. But I'm just telling you, mark this down, the model for the way you and I should pray is not James and John. The model for how we pray is Jesus himself, who in the most difficult crisis that he would face in his life would before going to the cross bearing our sins would be praying to his father father if it's possible take this cup of, cro of the cross from me but then but father your will not mine and that will of the father that Jesus accepted and obeyed was the very means of our being here today so understand that not only is God at work, but he's at work doing some great things and draws us into it. He doesn't need us to rescue him. And respond, and respond. God sends people each day into this world to serve. Ah, uh, Jenna and Tom, I loved, that's what this is about, right? Whether here it is at church or anywhere else, I mean, the, the whole meaning of being a follower of Jesus in terms of how we live is that wherever he sends us, we serve as he served. So that he would say this, this is the Waybright version uh, of this. Leaders in this world use their power to lord things over their people. Have, have any of you ever experienced that? <laughs> and then pounding on the pulpit and shouting, not so with you. This has to separate us from the rest of the world. For even the Son of Man did not come into this world to be served, but to serve now, these verses are worthy of so many sermons that I don't have time, you won't stay that long, but one point is surely this, that they tell us about how to use any influence and power that God entrusts to us. Uh, last, was it last week? Yeah, we thought about how possessions can take over our hearts and souls. I'm gonna tell you, power can too. It can consume you. 
so that you just use your position just to advance yourself more and more so that you can have more and more. It, it can be as self-centered and self-consuming as, as possessions might be. But I'm going to tell you this too, I've learned, that this text tells us that if God entrusts you with a place of authority, if you're supervising people or as a parent over your children, the way that we have to use that, we take it as, we don't run from that authority, we use that authority to bring blessing to others. Our influence and power as followers of Jesus should bring benefit not to us but to those we affect. Are you with me here? Who shows us what that looks like? So, after Jesus had actually died and risen again, the apostle Paul looked back at then and he says, let your attitude in life, the whole way you think and live about life, be like that of Jesus, who though he was in very nature God, did not consider that equality with God something he had to hold on to for his own advantage. But he emptied himself and became, took on the form of a servant. Go and do likewise. So what I want to say to you is this the essence of living life following Jesus is living a life of daily looking for opportunities to serve those he brings across our paths. And if you think I'm not a boss, I'm not a CEO, I'm not the head of the nominating committee, okay, just waking you up, Lisa, there, so you see it up there. You have influence. Schools, it's not just the teachers who have influence or the principal, it's also the students who influence everybody, right? At work, it's not just the boss who makes a difference in the culture of the place, it's the people who are there. In the family, it's not just the parent who changes the whole atmosphere of the family, right? It is the children too. We all have influence. What Jesus told you and me to do before he died is to serve. Each day we live to serve by asking, how might I serve those you bring across my path? That's how you and I are supposed to live. We keep thinking that the more power we have, the greater we'll be, and Jesus just turns that thing upside down. He says, it's those who are willing to be the least who are going to be the greatest wherever I send you. You've got to know we can't serve exactly the way Jesus did. I mean, he had the ability to serve by giving his life to forgive our sins. I can't do that, can you? <laughs> but, but wherever we are, we can use what we have to be able to serve. And we can't serve everybody he brings into our vicinity. But haven't you recognized that when there are, on days that we live, there are people who come across our paths and we just know, we just know that we should say something or do something with regard to that person. I called it in my first series of messages here, a divine appointment. Does anybody remember that? Look each day, have eyes open to see people as Jesus sees people, view it as a divine appointment, and then what do we do? We use whatever resources we have to serve, to bring blessing to that other person. I have more I wanna say, but I'm gonna stop there. I just want you to think about this. It was before going to Jerusalem to die for us that Jesus turned and said he came to serve us. His act of service at that time meant his painful death, bearing our sins on a cross. And then he turns to us and he says, if you follow me, 
That is how you and I should live. He says to us what our world rarely says, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Jesus thereby just turns the values of Southern California upside down. Isn't it true? Because he sees the world differently. In the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ, the way up is down. A life of serving, using whatever God has given you to bring blessing and benefit to others, I just tell you on the authority of God's word, will be a joy to you and bring glory to God. Amen. 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 Mm-hmm.